0: Bonjour. Bonjour. I'm Tamsin. I'm Kate. Welcome to the Dam de Paradis, a podcast about the art of lost living in rural France. We're neighbours. And friends. And together we explore the gentle and seasonal gifts of a slowed down life in a quiet corner of Gascony.
1: Some years ago, Tamsin showed me an abandoned ruin of a medieval convent in a hamlet called Paravie or Paradis. We joked that our rural French lives were nearly as heavenly and cloistered. The desire to reach out and exchange conversation
0: was born. Welcome to These Conversations and cake, inspired by that first visit to meet the Lost Damned Paradis.
1: What's the best thing you've ever been given as a gift?
0: God, good question i got such an appalling memory. That's actually really hard. I hate being put on the spot. Always leaves me with a mind blank. Um, Well, most recently, it was a car key. Um, It was the most touching surprise. It's funny, isn't it, that you think the gifts are the things for me nowadays that are not present but are things that people observe that are going to make your life better and my car key had been broken for eight months and the battery had gone and so every time I opened the car um I had to do it manually I couldn't use the auto lock if I used the auto lock <laughs> then the alarm would go off and then I'd have to lean over and press the button to undo all of the locks to open the boot to put the dogs in and this went on for eight months. And I just, for me to get a new key, I had this mental block about it because I thought I had to approach the, my car's imported from the UK. And so I have to go back to the manufacturers. And, and then it was like, I have to find the paperwork. Anyway, one morning, there was a key sitting on my worktop. Petrie said no idea uh, that that car key, Tronic car key had been broken for eight months When I saw this key on the worktop, I said, how did you know my car key was broken? Because you haven't haven't seen my car key. And he went, yes, I have. And I said, when did you order me a new car key? Ten days ago. And I burst into tears. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just the little things. When someone notices the invisible things about you and they just want to make your life better...
1: Yeah, that's a lovely gift.
0: I was so touched. I was slightly embarrassed about how touched I was, but at the same time, it meant more than it meant more than anything of any, you know. And, and
1: isn't that wonderful? It's the kind of gift that you'll you'll think of it every time, every day, every time you get in the car. Yeah, you'll think of that the the, the gift part of it, not just that it functions. That's wonderful.
0: The thought. It's the thought that counts in giving,
1: isn't it? It it is. People say that as a cliche. It's a thought that counts. But if you actually put thought into something, then you, you that's that's the gift. It's not the actual physical thing. It's that somebody is noticed and that they've they want to do something that will help you or give you pleasure? Sometimes it's not it could be so simple. What's the best? thing? I, yeah. I think the one thing that came to my mind was a gift I received through the post which is always fun when somebody sends you something especially these days when all our communication seems to be online and I got a package in the mail it's been a a little over a year ago now and it was a package of photographs and negatives black and white negatives and contact sheets from um, my first husband my who I'm so quite friendly with from all the work we did together as photographers when we were in our early 20s. He was a professional photographer and there were it was my my youth, or it was my life as I haven't seen it in so long. So it it was a reminder of who I am based on who I was and just the fun of seeing us hiking with friends and um, playing dress up and doing goofy things. And, and it was really lovely to have a perspective on myself because nobody else that I have in my life now knows me from that period. Mm-hmm. So to see, be given my younger self as a gift was a real treat and very, very touching. Because it, it, it doesn't mean anything to anybody else but me. And I really love that, it was very sweet.
0: That's nice, isn't it? It's kind of, as you were saying that, I was just thinking how it changes with age that, you know, what we need or what we want, um, there's that, the giving of a gift sometimes gets so caught up, doesn't it, in commercialism. And I don't really need anything that's bought. You know, I, at, this, at this stage of my life, I can buy everything I need. Um, gifts are always so much more retreat when, the, when they're like you say, when they're just a surprise of a connection to someone that um, means something to you. Or, you know, I think my godfather, you know, I'm 48 and my godfather every year, without a doubt, sends me a birthday card that's the that is probably the
1: best thing of all because somebody remembers you yeah and knows knows you and remembers you
0: yeah it's that isn't it it's almost like the lost art of giving
1: yeah I think you know we do uh, you can order something or you can have it sent online you can never touch it you can never see the person and they get it in the mail or gets picked up somehow and and it's those are seem so empty, those kind of gifts. So when you do something in person, it still has a lot of, you've touched it. You've had a lot of magic put into it from that touch. Yeah. I always think about the things when I first came to this part of France, or when I came to make my home here, I should say, and met my first, my neighbours the the gifts that they brought me or gave me one by one, sort of just welcoming, nothing as formal as like a welcome wagon, but more of just, oh, we were thinking of you, you've just arrived, you probably don't know, this is what we do. And those, they were teaching me how to be a good neighbor by being a good neighbor to me. Oh, yeah. And those things, whether they were, you know, a basket of mushrooms or a dozen eggs from their chickens or um, just explaining to me where to go buy the cat food. I, You know, those things are a very important part of getting settled here and yeah. feeling at home.
0: I loved that when I came because it was a way to be able to meet people and to feel connected to your community and your neighbours. Yeah, in the early days, I... I remember going into Gambert, the DIY shop. And my neighbour, Jean-Pierre, was in there. And I didn't really speak much French, but I could hear that his wife had a bad back. And so I offered if I could help in any way. And he said, yes, come round to the house tomorrow. And I thought, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? And so I just went with a big uh, Tupperware box of um, pumpkin, ginger and orange soup and they were bowled over um, and for me it was n- nothing to, to make it I just thought well they're having a really difficult time he looked distressed when he was talking but of course now I realise you know that's so much of life here isn't it that um, the shop owner is almost like your extended family oh yeah especially the I call it the farm
1: shop the farm shop is a big part of our lives in the neighbourhood because you do run into each other. Um, you, The people who work there have always been so great and helpful at first thinking, like, what the hell are you doing here? And where are you? To delivering something that I couldn't put in my car. To uh, I got my cat from the farm shop, and that's why he's called Tara de because I used to... Gamber used to be called Tar to ah, okay. Earth in the south the south earth. Wow. Yeah that farm shop's a very important part of holding all of us together yeah. And in fact just before the holidays I had um, I was making uh croustade. I was making mm. cakes or tarts for a television program and I had to make several to use over the filming and I knew if I kept them around, I'd eat them all, or I'd eat too much of it. So when I was going to the, to the farm shop that day, I just thought, oh, I'll just bring one of these with me. And that put me over the top as being their favorite customer. <laughs> and every time I come in now, they look expectantly, and I realize, like, oh, I better up my ante here and bring them something again.
0: <laughs> and I can remember the farm shop when, you know, When you're a stranger, when you're a newcomer, you're just kind of stumbling around in the dark, but every now and then, somebody says something that makes you realise that you've been included in the community, and I can remember going in there, and I was buying something, and then they just turned around to me and said your French has got so much better. Oh, yeah.
1: They can understand you.
0: Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's so nice. It's so nice that they recognize that I'm making the effort.
1: And one Ooh. of the guys speaks, one of the younger guys speaks very good English, he always makes a point of saying to me, hello, Mrs. Hill, how are you? Oh, yes. <laughs> and knows that I, he's inviting me to speak English with him. Yeah, there's uh-huh. another guy in there.
0: And I actually don't know his name, but he knows my name. And he knows my dogs because when I lost Lucian um, and he went missing for 12 days, I put a little poster and he was just so instrumental in helping me find him and putting the word out. And then they were all, when I got, the drama of losing my dog was like widespread. But when I got my dog back, they were all so happy for me. Yeah, It was really, really lovely. I think you realise, it's like you said that... Giving is so much about giving a compliment or giving time or...
1: Giving time is a big part of... I think it's the biggest gift of living here. And the thing I remember sort of being bowled over culturally when I would hear over and over again, French people would say to me, here we have... we Ici, on prenez le temps de prendre le temps. Here we take the time to take time And that meant that if you were standing in line at the bank You were going to wait till the other people in front Have had all the gossip And all of the, the little things they needed to do Or the post office Or the farm shop but, but when it came to you You would get the generous gift of that time That they would take for mm-hmm. you Or they would take the time to take Sunday And really be with their family And not work or they would take the time to do something well and not just you know, run through it, but actually plan it and do something. And if you're going to put up a, a stone wall, you put up a stone wall that's gonna last beyond your lifetime, that sort of thing. And that taking the time and then sharing that is a big piece of living here for me. And it, it slowed me down, it took a long time, maybe like 20 years, 25 years till I started to match the rhythm of where I lived. But it, it's the biggest gift of living here for me, is having the time to take the time to do something that I, that's important to me.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would say it's taken me 10 years. You know, I've been here 10 years, but I didn't really... I loved and appreciated the slow way of life, but I wasn't particularly slow myself.
1: Not at all. I, have, I, was, I was living my American life here, which I think a lot of expats do that.
0: Yeah, but it doesn't work. No,
1: and it's okay if you just come and go and you're on vacation when you're here. But when you actually live here yeah. and have to sync your life with the rest of the community, and that's when you start to see it in lots of little ways... That, you know the fact that everybody pretty much takes lunch for t- between 12 and two every day no matter if it was a bank or post office or a store mm-hmm. that everything closes down and you have go have lunch because that's what everybody's doing you're not doing it on your own you're moving in concert with a whole community and having that getting in sync like that did take a long time for me as well, because I, I was working in this other way, working mostly with uh, North Americans, and so I had certain expectations, what people had of me, that I should be online, or I should do something at a certain time, that I couldn't just say, well, it's lunchtime now, i am got to stop. And, and now I not only do that, but I insist that other people respect that too.
0: It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's it's here, everything happens on time and everything functions. And yet when we apply that mindset of productivity, um, enforced or forced productivity upon ourselves, it's almost like we we sort of ignore the rhythms of nature and we fight ourselves to get where we want to get to. But of course... The moment you slow down, everything happens anyway, without the stress. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and you get a chance to appreciate it a little bit more as it's happening. Yeah. You don't just whiz through it and then look back and realise you missed half of it. I've been really looking forward to enforcing a four-day work week. I'm not doing a really good job, but I'm, I'm thinking about it anyway. And the idea of... of Getting, being productive in
0: uh,
1: a time period that allows me to have really down time or other time to share with other people is important for me now. I don't need to spread it all out to make it seem like I'm busy all the time. And that kind of goes hand in hand with having the time then to give a gift of time to somebody or be with somebody or spend a, to- a bit of time mm. um, sharing you you what you're doing with somebody not feeling
0: that you can't you can't really afford to take that time to do that yeah the way I use my time here has changed enormously and I've given myself permission to be like that because I think before um, I mean I, I'm organized and I'm motivated but I definitely enable more time to daydream here and I'm not as hard on myself as I was yesterday such a good example because I knew that I had certain things that I wanted to get done because of the weather so I wanted to prune my tree, Um, I needed to walk the dogs, I wanted to kind of rake the leaves up and then I I wanted to write um, my next newsletter and if I had time I wanted to do a video for a yoga course and at that I had to drop because I just thought no, I don't wanna be rushing in and out of everything. I wanna be really mindfully appreciating each stage and I loved cutting the tree in the morning. It just set me up the whole day. Um and then I had some breakfast and then I walked the dogs and we just enjoyed the sunshine. Then I came home and I raked up all the leaves and I thought I'm a bit tired now, I've done quite a lot, you know, it's like Somehow, slowly, i have done six hours of work, including the dogs, which I, I... I include the dogs as, like, my meditation. You know, so that's definitely not wasted time. And, uh... And somewhere along the line, I took a pause, and then by the time I started writing, it was, it was really late. It was, like, nine o'clock at night, and I wrote until 2 a.m. And I went to bed, and I thought, God, it's actually a luxury to be able to live this kind of lifestyle sometimes i feel like i'm an um a method actor
1: <laughs> and i
0: go into this flow it's so creative obviously you know not you can't always be like that because i can't be like that if i've got a retreat coming up but what is it about
1: living here that makes it that way for you what what is living here in france or in the rural part of france we always I always feel I have the though I'm not in Paris Paris is like living in New York France is not Paris France is a huge countryside of small villages and rural farming and it does affect this entire nation in a very important way how does it affect you what What do you
0: I think it's such an ancient way of being you know uh, here, people farm the land, and they live with dogs, and they hunt. And that has been the culture of humanity since day day dot, hasn't it? It's like deeply ingrained in the psyche that that's what we do as human beings. And so we don't really have to question it. We just know that it's going to happen, and tomorrow will arrive. And we don't need to stress about it, and tomorrow will also be different. And there's some kind of sense of trust in the process that perhaps um, no one's breathing down your neck, everyone here knows that it just happens, it all happens, it all comes together and somebody will appear and help you to make it happen. So um, I think that's the biggest thing when you're slowing down is do you trust yourself? to slow down because often people say that to me about living here I couldn't be on my own like you live because I would never get anything done <laughs> and of course you know when you live on your own that you and you work for yourself you, you have to tread that line between being organised and productive but also giving yourself permission to put your feet up and to rest, because you can't be all outpouring. And I find that here, people are like that in every single aspect.
1: It's so much a part of everyday life that this length of time. And you know, I, I think often Americans, particularly you North Americans, look at Europe and the old world. And the older world, um, as you know, this awe of all all the things that's gone on, but they don't realize it's not about the pyramids or it's not about you know Roman ruins or it's it's about this rhythm that you just mentioned that for me is completely hooked into or comes from the natural rhythm of the seasons of the cl- of the climate changing and. It's like this week, every year, almost to the dot, we have some beautiful sunny, cold, but sunny weather, dry. And it's when you have to go out and prune those trees because it's cold enough, it's dry enough, and it's gonna change in about two weeks time, you can guarantee. So that even though, you know, we know spring is on its way, there's a, those are too broad you have to re, really realize that the look around what's going on, the neighbors are in the orchards they're in the vineyards they're pruning, you better get pruning too because this is the time to do it and they know that because it's like that every year and it's been that way every year for decades, for generations and, now, and for millennia that there is a sense of every year, there's a rolling rhythm. Yeah, obviously it changes from year to year somewhat, but you know maybe a colder winter or a hotter summer. But there is a change that's happening, and the gift of, in all that is that once you sort of give yourself to that and let let it dictate what you do, you realize like yeah, I'm gonna. I walked around yesterday morning in my bathrobe. And outside with my secateurs and my glove, and just did a little. Pr- I like pruned three little cherry trees that are espaliered around my potager. That's all I did. I didn't do any big, heavy garden project yet. I just took a few minutes to do that. And every day, this over the next week to ten days, that's how I'll get all the pruning done with some help from my friends who will climb the trees now for me. But all the little stuff that I can reach. Deadhead the hydrangeas. Um, just start clipping back the you know the frozen calla lily leaves. I do that now because I know that in a month's time it's going to be too wet and too warm. Things will be, and I will have missed that opportunity. So I I trust that now. I didn't I didn't know it, and then I didn't trust it. Now, it's an integral part of my life, and mm-hmm. it's very important for me to let myself do that too.
0: It's a luxury, isn't it?
1: It is a luxury, but it really comes from the necessity, too, because if the farmers, if the orchardmen didn't do that now, we wouldn't have any apples or prunes or any of the things that we we enjoy here in this, this
0: amazingly fertile area. I think this year has been my first year, probably, that I have sort of found a bit more connection with doing everything myself, because of. Previously, before COVID, every winter I went to India. And that was my luxury. My luxury was going to India for a month to spend time with my teacher. And obviously, with COVID, I, I didn't go. And there were too many complications because I couldn't leave. There were no pench, um, kennels for the dogs. So I couldn't go anywhere. So I've, I've spent three years at home with the dogs. And now I don't want to go anywhere because I actually... Love the connection of doing the jobs myself, and I'm beginning to realize you know, I've changed my whole way of work because of COVID to be more in contact with the season so that I can prune my trees and I don't have to ask someone else to do it. And I don't want to give that job to anyone else because it's that giving love. I'm giving love to my garden uh, in a way that will give me love back because I will get to eat all the food. And if that tastes better. <laughs> and it tastes better, yeah. And it's like I didn't, I haven't pruned the loquat tree for three years because I was just busy doing other things or I wasn't really present. And suddenly it's dawned on me, well, if you want your fruit to arrive this July, you need to get out there. And it was just brought so much joy to do it. But I think that sense of trust in in the fact that everything works, it also gives everybody a kind of... Um, I always feel here everyone has a very sure sense that the simplest things are enough. No one dresses anything up. It's like when you go to someone's house or if someone... Gives you something like you know. When I first came here, my neighbour gave me a tray of figs, uh, the first retreat, and that was more than enough. It's like it wasn't. It was just out of his garden, and it was so simple, but it was so tasty. And it's the most
1: thoughtful kind of gift to share something that you are that you've grown yourself as well. I think that um, of years of, of traveling through the area, when I, when I came here on a, my barge, and I lived on the barge for 25 years, I, I didn't have, I wasn't kind of anchored in the earth in the same way that I am now. And so I would travel through all these villages, and I would go to different markets, and I really learned, I called it my long village all the way along between the Mediterranean to the Atlantic, I knew all of these towns. But I would walk around the villages and look at people's gardens and kind of, like a little kid, drool over their, their fence. To if I saw like these beautiful ripe tomatoes that were growing in their potagers, because I didn't have a potager at that time. I had a few flowers on the boat that was about it but if somebody gave me something from their as I was passing by like oh here try this yeah, you know, it was just the best thing I could ever get from somebody was mm. that they gave me something from their garden so now I always think of that when i you know I spend a lot of time planting and thinking about planting and planting and weeding and harvesting and then sharing that with my friends it's really an important part for
0: me so essential isn't it in well-being you know we talk a lot about well-being and yet sometimes I think well-being is just over-marketed and not really particularly relevant but really giving to others just brings so much joy Um, if you're feeling I mean I can remember one winter I was I was really struggling to feel like I'd found community and it was mostly down to the fact that I was yet to speak decent French and um, I think sometimes you know I'm a little bit out of the picture with the expat community because I'm not in a town or I'm not I'm not directly um, in circles where I don't have kids or so I would always feel like I was a bit out of sight, out of mind and I wasn't necessarily connected to the expat community and I didn't speak enough French yet to be fully integrated with my neighbours and I'd been feeling a bit miserable and glum and oh poor me <laughs> and then I went to India that winter and I went to the Sikh temple in Old Delhi which was just illuminating because they um I can't remember the name of the temple but I'll put it in the notes but are they they make 35 thousand free meals a day. Wow. Oh. It is incredible. And the kitchens there are just packed. This the, the bowl to make the curry is enormous on this open fire and there'd be ten women making chapatis Um even just the, the, the store cupboard for the vegetables, you know, it's like a mountain of cauliflower <laughs> just waiting. Yeah, yeah. And nobody goes hungry. Um, it inspired me so much that I realised when I came back to France, the way to connect is to give. And I joined as a volunteer for Resto de Coeur. Um, I came back and I searched. I thought, well, what can I do to connect to my community that are going to... Um, it's going to be something that I love too, which is always about food and always about being, you know, one big aspect of yoga is selfless service, where you're you're doing something without any desire for a return. It's just, uh, I suppose, the return is always your own and, happiness. And resto
1: de Coeur is
0: all over France,
1: and almost every town has, you know, town of any size has some sort of facility to. Help provide meals for people that need them, whether they're homeless or they they just don't don't have the means. It's a big part of the uh, kind of the secular charities in France.
0: It's an incredible charity, actually, isn't it? Firstly, it's incredible that fourteen percent of the French population are below poverty and can't afford their food. I mean, that in itself is mind blowing. What I loved about my experience there was I didn't speak very good French at the time and they were so welcoming and everything was on Google Translate. <laughs> and uh, the only rules were that we don't talk about religion and we don't talk about politics and we're always positive and happy for the people that walk through the door. Those are the same rules I have at my
1: table. <laughs> and I was always told that don't talk about religion or politics. Those things divide people. Food brings people together. yeah. And and the idea of sharing food, of course, a big part of my life has been that sharing information or teaching or um, just the actual hospitality of cooking for other people. But when you really look at it as the most intimate act you can do with somebody outside of a bedroom, perhaps, where (laughs) where you're eating together or where you're giving somebody something to eat because they physically ingest it and take it into their whole being. That, what a magical kind of thing that is, that you give life to somebody else through that. Whether you're doing it at home by inviting your neighbors around for an apparel or whether you're making an extra meal. One of the things that came out of the pandemic for me was we didn't have much getting together for, with my friends for eating, but we kind of did our meals on wheels for each other. We'd drop food off mm. um, because mm. it's boring to cook for yourself all the time and I miss my other friends cooking because they're such good cooks and it was a way we could continue to share and give yeah. uh, amongst ourselves
0: yeah yeah with my neighbours it was the same actually we put a little parcel of food on the windowsill when one person was sick and they needed some support um just checking in that everyone was okay but it is those things are important sometimes we lose sight of that I think we've especially lost sight of that recently actually like those simple rules of no no talking of religion no talking of politics um, because it takes you away from the simple pleasure of just seeing someone and you know at Resto de Coeur, I love the fact that every person that walked through the door you welcomed with a smile and made them feel really special because to be below the poverty line is not always easy. You know, when you are someone who cannot afford your own lifestyle, you're kind of at the mercy of what is being given to you in many ways. And of course, well, we would receive all the food from the supermarket. So, so the charity functions by people buy things at the supermarket and put them in a sp- particular place for resto de coeur and the supermarkets donate food or give all the food that's close to the sell by date and it was a big operation you know someone would go every twice a week with the van and fill up all the food from the local farmers and the supermarket and it would come back to the depot and then we would go through all the stock and wash the food rewrap it and in the central hall create what looked like a farmer's market So that it had this really nice feel about it. That's great. There would be cakes in the middle. So they'd walk into the coffee table. They could have a tea and a coffee whilst they waited. And then they just walked around. And they walked around with someone that served them. So they felt really taken care of. And it would all be put in their bags in a way that was just manageable. And they had help going out to whatever it was, their car or their bicycle. Um, it's like old-fashioned customer service. Mm, that's nice. Yeah.
1: That's something that is, is, I think, a part of living here in France that it took some getting used to, was the idea of uh, the people who wanted to help you when you walked into a shop. And it starts from the moment you say bonjour and to when you leave and you say au revoir. You've had a relationship with somebody in that shop. You haven't just walked in, looked around and left. And so if you go, I remember going in to this really beautiful storefront in downtown Agen with a shop on Boulevard Carnot that had only hats. And I I love hats. I've always loved hats. And I just wanted to look inside the shop. And I walked in and immediately there were like three or four very chic looking Sales ladies behind counters so there was like a, 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 a U of counters when you walked into the centre of the U and there was one behind each counter and they sort of said in unison can we help you and it was like you can't just say no I'm just looking because everything was in boxes or on shelves and it wasn't like you are browsing through so I just kind of made up something and I said yes I'm uh, I'm looking for a straw hat. It was summer and a uh, navy blue straw hat. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> and then boom, 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 there was this little flurry of activity. And all of a sudden there was 10 navy blue straw hats on the countertop. And I was just bowled over. Of course I had to buy one. <laughs> oh, they were beautiful. And I bought the most beautiful hat, which I had in Captain War for years and years and years. But the idea that you would serve somebody, that you weren't being bothered by somebody asking if they could help you, but it was a way that that was true customer service. Mm-hmm. And the idea that they, that somebody would help you find what you needed when you walked in.
0: So that's really lovely that they, they sort of extend that. It's kind of old-fashioned now, but... Um. It's old-fashioned, but it's so essential. I mean, I remember in my last job when I worked uh, for a luxury furniture company in Mayfair in London. And I was a member of staff down and I kept being sent from head office um, potentials for a recruitment agency and they were all completely inappropriate and I said to head office, right, just give me a week. Um, it's really quiet at the moment. I'm going to go out on the you know, on the shop floors of all the places around me, and I'm going to find a member of staff myself because I know what I need and I know what I'm looking for. And I spent a week going to all the local furniture stores that were the same kind of calibre, and only one man throughout the whole week came up to me and did the whole, what I felt was correct. Um, Eye contact, he welcomed me, uh, he was busy, so he said, if you would like to just wait there for a moment, I, I won't be a second and I'll come and help you. And he instantly put his hand out, introduced himself, and asked me what I was looking for. And I was just like, you're my man. You're incredible. So I took—I didn't tell him what I was doing. Um, I told him I wanted a sofa for my loft apartment. Yeah. <laughs> and when I A little got, more expensive than a straw hat. <laughs> And I got back to the shop and I phoned head office and I said, I found my guy. He's brilliant. I'm going to phone him and get him in for an interview. Um, I was surprised that so few people actually knew how to serve someone. And I don't know whether that was always drummed into me because my father was a butcher. And that is also such an ancient, it's a bit like farmers. There's an ancient cultural code around service that's kind of like passed down from generation to generation and if you say yes to the farm that you're going to buy however many chickens you don't break your word and so we were you know we were taught that that that's how you behaved that you take care of people and you give them your word of mouth and that's a signed deal it's
1: wonderful that you you say that, that you learned that from your your father from your parents because i think that that's how i certainly learned about my my version of hospitality or what i thought was important was from my parents as well and my my parents had a restaurant i was probably about 8 or 9 years old the very first thing i remember my mother saying to me was you know, people had just sat down on the table, go bring them some water. And, you know, uh, so I'd bring the jug of ice water, or she, and she would arrive with a coffee pot. This is very America, 1960s. You'd have a cup of coffee with your meal. It would be the first thing you were served. You didn't have to ask for it. You would just show up at the table, would you like coffee? And it was, it, it the sense that you would always ask somebody if they wanted more, to be sort of that bottomless cup of you know just coming around. You didn't have somebody didn't have to order it. You appeared with what they might want. And I learned that from the inside out. That was how my first interactions with, you know, strangers outside of school would you know, would be people you wouldn't know would come in the restaurant, but you treated them like they were coming into your home and you welcomed them. And that was I was timid about it. I remember being very nervous about it. Uh, initially because I was young but then you gain confidence
0: yeah
1: and then you see how that works and you realize that it's a part of those values are instilled in you mm-hmm. um, what it, it if you grow up with that and you see your parents doing that if you don't see that how are you going to learn mm-hmm. and I think children not not this generation you know in quotes, or this or that. It's just like people used to live together a bit more. I mean, I spent time with my parents after school. We were there, my brothers and sister and I were there after school doing our homework on the tables or the counter, but we were also helping out in the back. Something needed doing and we saw how they worked and we learned what that you know those work values were. But there was a lot that besides the, the the nuts and bolts about running a restaurant that I learned—it was more that sense of generosity.
0: It's almost like it could be um, included as an essential part of the curriculum for kids, isn't it? Because I think, like you, you know, my parents were hosts, and my father was uh, the local butcher. So, and if you're the local butcher, you're not, you not—you don't just serve. Customers meet you, well, you could do. But my father would always want to know who they were having round for dinner, what cut of meat would be the best. My mum was a wonderful uh, cook, so he would always suggest one of my mum's recipes. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't know a recipe, he'd always say, I'll ask Linda what she would suggest, and I'll give you a call tonight and I'll recommend something. So he would always go above and beyond to help people make what they bought a really special experience to share with their friends.
1: You see, when I came to France, I had never experienced that because, you know, by then in you know, my my growing up time, outside of my parents' restaurant or maybe the bakery that was across the street, you know, all our shopping was at a supermarket where there wasn't any of that kind of, yeah. you know, hand to hand kind of 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 uh, commerce, and so when I came to France, it was very hard to figure out. What the dynamics was and how you, how I interacted with these people, um, who were friendly enough, but I really didn't know um, what to do. The first time I got, and the first time I really screwed up my courage to use my French outside of a, you know, um, a friendly conversation, was in a grocery store as you had you wanted cheese you had to ask the cheesemonger for the cheese and you have to tell her the name of it because some of it was on the back it wasn't just in front that you could point and you had to tell her how much you needed or you had to go to a shop and ask somebody for something because not everything was on display Mm -hmm. and so I think that sometimes when people come to France and in the countryside is particularly um, more um, give and take. That way, these smaller shops and the markets obviously teaches that too. But they don't feel comfortable doing it, and they stumble around, and they and they don't understand that that's part of the joy of living here. Is that give and take yeah. of of being in a you know being a, a customer or being um, a salesperson. Yeah. Like being a host and being a guest. They're very much the same coin, the two sides of that same
0: coin. You don't realise when you're a host, often my guests will say to me, I don't know how you do it all, but of course, when from a really young age being a host has been all you know, you don't think of how you wouldn't not do it, because at home the door was always open, house was always full, people were always eating, people would come out at all, times of the day I mean I can even remember my dad so we lived right by a big park in London and um, every Sunday walkers would go past the house and my dad would be in the garden and my dad just loved chatting to everyone and I can remember once there were these two American tourists um, a couple and my dad just got engaged with them and they sort of You know, Americans are not afraid to say hello. They're wonderful like that. They always kind of say, hi, what are you doing? (laughs) And so they'd obviously got into conversation with my dad and he discovered that they were on holiday. And next minute they came for lunch. (laughs) And then we went for a lovely walk together. And so that was my childhood. And it's really normal for me to welcome strangers into my home and to feed them. And so to be here in this kind of place where everything is about food and sharing and giving feels quite normal. And that's what why
1: I think we called it the art of lost living, not the lost art of living, because it's that, that there's things we've lost a little bit by, mm-hmm. by isolation or by uh, removing ourselves from face-to-face um, connections with people.
0: We forget, don't we, to do simple things that actually mean an awful lot.
1: I know that one of the things that stands in people's way sometimes when they, um, when they move to a foreign country, and I, I made a comment on a, on a, my newsletter. Somebody mentioned something. I talked about going to one of the spas in the thermal baths in the area, and how wonderful it was. And they said, oh, I didn't know there were in that area. And I thought, of course there are, the Romans, the first expats. They are the ones who figured it out. And I realized, oh, there have been expats coming here forever, haven't there? Because this is a lovely place to live, and it was fertile, the climate was good, there's lots of good things about it. And I realized that people really just have to find a way to, to connect to something here and to start in the smallest way to reach out and not be afraid to make that connection. Yeah. To be, I suppose to be a good host, you have to be a good guest. And so to be that person who receives graciously as well as giving generously and I think sometimes it's hard if you don't have language. Of course, you're really at a disadvantage. You don't know when somebody's offering you something, and you feel a little put out. Like, are they trying to come on to me, and are they scamming, or what do you, you know? What do they want? And then it's like, oh, they were asking
0: me if I'd like a little help with X, Y, Z. Yeah. One of the things that I've enjoyed actually that I realize is not French because especially in the countryside. Um, people are a little more insulated and very much more centred around their own families than they are of welcoming in strangers. But from an early age we had a neighbour at home called Robert Stavely and every Christmas uh, he would invite the whole street for um, mulled wine (laughs) and a mince pie Um, and he always wore a kind of cravat and his cardigan or his jacket um we never saw him any other time apart from walking past his house being in the garden but that was his role and he never deferred from that every Christmas it was mulled wine and mince pies at the Staveleys. and I remember saying to um my ex-partner one year we don't know our neighbours I'm just going to start doing what what we did as kids and invite all the neighbours for Christmas drinks and because it's not very french in that you don't really get invited into people's homes because you you tend to go for a plat du jour don't you it's like you meet you meet your neighbors or your colleagues or whatever at lunch um they all came <laughs> and they all curiosity loved won yeah. them out yeah and they all loved it because they didn't know one another by first names they didn't know how, e- how long each other had been living in the village, um, and it started to bring this sense of deeper connection. So I took it upon myself now that that's my role in the village is that I do the Christmas drinks party and yeah, that's lovely <laughs> and I can give them a little bit of British culture. That's great. And
1: that's the kind of thing that the exchange is about, that exchange of culture, the exchange of Uh, of ideas and and who you are. So you are still who you are. You just happen to live here. I think that was something that that I... why I felt very comfortable coming in. People would say to me, but do you feel welcome on the French, the French this or the French that? And I said, no, I've always... maybe because we moved a lot when I was a child. My father was in the Navy and we moved every couple of years. And one of my mother's superpowers was that the minute we get in our new housing, whether it was a naval housing kind of thing, a Quonset hut, a a Nissen hut, or a condominium of some kind, or a house, she'd have the house completely set up within a week or two. And we'd be at home just doing what we always did, no matter where we lived. And so I I kind of took that from my mom, and so wherever I been, I've always felt, I live here, this is what I do. So I didn't try to become French or become this, I still was who I was, or I still am who I am. And I think it's one of the things that my neighbours have um, also responded to me as that, yes, I'm the American, but I'm also one of them. And that's, I'm part of that community. And I, I do it maybe in a different way. I, I'm the loudspeaker. I would think the loudest loudspeakers because I promote this beautiful area, and I love my, my house, my village, my commune, my department, my region. And I, they, they see me doing that. They, they see me on Instagram. They see me on television, on French television, talking about what a wonderful area it is. And so I, I'm given, you know, lots of pats on my back from my neighbors in a quiet way, but for doing that. And so I'm accepted for who
0: I am. I don't have to be somebody else. Yeah, it's a false reality, isn't it? If you. Um, feel that you have to become French because, like, I'm never going to acquire the French accent. It's so difficult. And they don't want me to, either. No. I always remember
1: somebody saying, if you ever hear a French person speaking English, how lovely and charming their accent sounds, you know, that there's a sort of a thing about having an accent that makes you a little exotic and a little stand-apart, but it's often thought of in a very sort of romantic way
0: yeah i'm a great believer in what you give you get back and if you feel like life isn't giving you what you want are you giving life what you need to give it to receive what you want because you can be as engaged or disengaged you know it's like always it's It's always down to us. It's always down to how much we are showing up in our life. You can't expect people to give to you if you're not giving to them. And I don't think it necessarily has to be like for like. It's like giving is a certain energy and it doesn't necessarily, you know, sometimes if you give something to someone, they can feel uncomfortable because they can't match what you're giving them. Um, and often when you're a good cook, that that is one of the things people don't invite you back.
1: For dinner, I say it's a, it's a sad thing about being a good cook because people don't want to cook for you, but actually is always say you know, a takeout or a frozen pizza sounds great to me.
0: I know I'm the same. It's like, oh, for heaven's sake, just give me gluten-free beans on toast. Yeah. But um, the conversation and the com- companionship is is just as important as the good food. But what I've learned about being a good cook and not getting invited back is it doesn't necessarily have to be like for like because you give to someone because you enjoy the pleasure. I mean, I just love cooking. You know, the other day I invited my neighbors around. I realized I had nothing to feed them apart from I had some carrots and some... What did I put in it? I think I had some carrots and some beetroot and some cabbage and then I had some flour, so I made these spicy veg- vegetable dumplings. Nice. And I got so much pleasure from cooking them. It took a couple of hours. I felt really happy in the kitchen. They were bowled over that I'd made that much effort for them, but I said I actually have made the effort for myself <laughs> <laughs> because I get to discover another recipe. It's like every time I'm in the kitchen. So it comes back to you. I don't expect them to do the same I don't want them to do the same but it will come back in another way and that's the lovely thing and it might not even come back from them you know giving doesn't have to match yeah I think you just continue to you 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 just said you know
1: the more the more you give the more you get and it just feeds into that general you know it all sounds like platitudes but the, the reality is if you every day you did something for somebody else in the smallest way, you're going to get that back a hundredfold. And I, I think the thing that we focus on, because here we are sitting in front of a little crackling fire with a couple of snoring dogs at our feet in this beautiful, sunny February day, that they're, you know, are in this beautiful part of France that kind of puts parentheses around things, that we can take the time to talk about it, have our cake, have a conversation, Focus a little bit so we can share that with other people as well as a gift to just think a little bit about what you're doing during the day and doing it for yourself as well. I think the biggest hardship for me has been as spoiled as I am is giving myself something, giving myself something that I, I don't feel I deserve, maybe the time or the luxury of... Rest or the attention a bit more to my health. Things like that that I've always Mm -hmm. kind of just
0: shunted to the side because I was doing it for somebody else. I never forget before I moved to France. um, It was quite soon after my mum died, and I was just consumed with sadness. And I wasn't very connected to what was going on around me because the sadness was so overwhelming. But I was going to a yoga studio three times a week and I must have had this kind of, you know, energy where I was always looking down and I didn't... I was I was actually quite afraid to connect to others because I was so sad. I thought, God, I'm going to show them how sad I am or I'm going to end up bursting into tears at the drop of a hat. Anyway, after going to this studio for several months, one day um, the teacher that I loved, Pablo... I walked in and he said, hi Tamsin, how are you? And I, I almost cried just because it was so lovely to have been noticed and to have been called by my name. And I think sometimes when we, giving is the simplest thing, isn't it? Especially when your life is busy. Giving is acknowledgement of saying someone's name and, paying a compliment to what someone's wearing or paying a compliment to how lovely what someone has just said is and how meaningful it is to you doesn't have to be a grand expensive gesture it just has to be a moment um of connection thank you (laughs) that feels like a good place yeah a nice place to end giving a nice memory as well. No, I think it's all of those things, all those small things. When you
1: think about, it, they're really that's what builds up the fabric of your, you know, your life. All those those memories of wonderful gifts, giving, giving, and everything that, all the the sadness and the hardship and things like that, can bounce off of that because that's where all the
0: kind of tensile strength of our lives are in that. I would love if this podcast were to inspire others to make one small act towards another and to hear um, how that makes them feel or how that made the other
1: person feel. That would be a lovely gift to us, wouldn't it? Yeah. We I mean, can start by making cake, and this cake is beautiful. <laughs> These are
0: lovely little cakes. Oh. They're really nice. These are These are tender. They are actually. Yeah. They're very moist. I've gobbled mm. up four. Now <laughs> yeah, this They're courgette, mm. lemon zest, um, hazelnut flour. Chestnut. In fact, it's not hazelnut flour. It's hazelnut powder, poudre de mm. noisette. And um, chestnut flour. So they're quite nutty. Cardamom. Vanilla and a little bit of salt. And yes. eggs. An egg. Yeah, I'll put the recipe in the in the footing. Thanks, Kate. Thank you, Tamsin. Another great chat. We'll see you next time. See you next time.